Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, April 1st, middle of the week. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Wednesday. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. It's uh, excuse me, it's Ceasefire. They're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. Now more than ever, Mississippi needs to stay connected and Seaspire is working to make that happen, whether it's offering free wireless data for educational websites or helping connect businesses with the tools that they need so that you can work from home. They're even partnering with UMMC to turn the Seaspire Health app into a free virtual triage center for anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. You can learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Bit of a programming note as we get started for uh, with you this afternoon. We are going to uh, be with you until 6 o'clock tonight, but at the bottom of the hour, roughly 3.30, we are going to step away from Sports Talk Mississippi, and we will take you live to Governor Tate Reeves' news conference uh, that is happening for an update on coronavirus, COVID-19, things that are happening here in the state of Mississippi and uh, for as long as that lasts, we're going to stick with it. Uh, so, so you'll hear that, and as long as we can hear the questions and the audio quality is good, uh, we will bring you the Q&A that uh, goes along with that as well. Uh, there's been some reporting uh, in various parts of the state of Mississippi that uh, there could be a, a pretty significant announcement coming uh, maybe as soon as this afternoon uh, from the governor, Tate Reeves, and so we will bring that to you at 3.30 uh, or close to it this afternoon. Borky, what's up on a Wednesday? Starting to feel like Groundhog Day to me. Is it? It's finally setting in. I mean, I know we've had a lot of sports news to cover. We haven't really um, had to get too creative. I know we've had really good shows since the day Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus to where it's felt like we've had content, we've had good shows, it's been fast-paced, and I woke up this morning and sat down at my desk in my office at home like I always do, and I opened my computer and thought, what are we going to do today? For the first time since this started, of course, we have a really good content plan today as well, but this was the first day where I thought, man, what? it's only Wednesday? Oh, gosh, what are we going to do here? First day since it started. Hey, did, did you hear that? Borky just said, I sat down at my desk... And had no idea. But guess what, boys? We have got a great plan. Never fear. Borky is here. I'm proud of the work I do. He he did it. He did a good job. I've seen the rundown. It looks great. It does look great. There's a a lot to get to with you uh, this afternoon. Rippy, what's up? Anything exciting on your Wednesday? 
Not really. Went to Walmart, made another grocery trip. There you go. So, other than that, not too exciting. Because you were out of things or because you were doing, like, doomsday prepping? I wouldn't call uh, somewhere in the in between. Like, it would have been about three weeks since I went the first time, or I guess around... Yeah, I guess it was a little around three weeks. So, it was also time, but probably a good time to do some doomsday prepping. Uh, Wait, you, you haven't brought, bought groceries in three weeks? No, but, like, if you're buying for one person, like, I, like the last time lasted me a while, like... I don't need a ton, but like I stocked up. It was about a hundred dollars worth of groceries the last time. Is that not okay. adequate to last three weeks? No, I guess it is. I, I mean, I suppose depends on what you're buying. What was the most expensive item you bought at Walmart today? Uh, a tent to go in my bunker. <laughs> Did you say a tent? That's exactly yes. What why? Why do you need a tent if hey, you're he's in a kidding. bunker? Porky. He's Porky. He's kidding. The whole doomsday prep. I didn't actually buy a tent. I bought food. Uh, if you want me to go down through the entire list, I'd be happy to, but I don't think anyone wants to hear that. Well, did you buy steaks at Walmart? I mean, you go to LB's for that. Yeah. No, I mean, I got, like, bread, sandwich meat. Milk. <laughs> milk and bread. Uh, no, 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 no milk. I uh, didn't Pringles. need that. Yeah. Beer. All good. Uh, okay, so beer was the most expensive item on your shopping list. Yeah, no, I it guess was natty, so. it was Natty Light. He didn't. He didn't spend a whole lot. Ugh. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there is a really big story in the state of Mississippi, and Brian Haydad has already written about it. If you follow him on Twitter or you follow Sports Talk Mississippi, you have seen that story. Last night, the news came that Mississippi State has a new quarterback commitment. It is a guy that is coming from Mike Leach's old stomping ground, and his name is Sawyer Robertson. He is from Lubbock, Texas, 6'3 half, about 190 pounds, 185, 190 pounds. Coronado High School, again in Lubbock, Texas. He is a top 10 pro-style quarterback in the country and a top eh, 150 to 200 player in the class of 2021. And, hey, Dad, as I was scrolling through his Twitter feed last night, the offer list for Sawyer Robertson, pretty darn impressive. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be sort of difficult to wrap your head around that this, which is you know going to be the, the new normal for, for Mississippi State football with Mike Leach when you see stuff. But I'm going to say this, and it's the truth. Mississippi State beat Texas for a quarterback from Texas yesterday. Now, obviously, it's a long way to go. Uh you know, it's it's. I, I I say that I don't know when signing day is going to be. I won't be surprised if it gets moved from December to some other time. But as it sits right now, if his if his ranking does not change, he will be the highest rated quarterback Mississippi State has ever signed. You mentioned that Mississippi State beats out Texas, and mm -hmm. that is obviously correct. But stopping there, I think, kind of does you a little bit of a disservice. So as I was scrolling through, I was like, oh. Well, he just got an offer from uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Well, that's good. And, and then I just kept scrolling, and I was like, oh, well, there's Arkansas, and there's Arizona State, and there's Florida State, and there's Louisville, and there's TCU, and there's Texas, and there's Southern Cal. So pretty impressive offer list. Uh, Wisconsin out of the Big Ten. A am I look Okay, Arkansas is the only other SEC team that had offered Sawyer Robertson. 
I, I believe that might be correct. But, I mean, this is a kid who, had he gone out on the uh, camp circuit, which obviously probably won't have the chance to do now, was going to rack up a lot of offers. There was, there was a lot of buzz about this kid uh, coming out of, of spring. Um, I mean, he, he fits exactly what Mike Leach wants to do. When you look at his numbers from a season ago, uh, he threw for almost 4,000 yards, 44 touchdowns, only eight picks. Uh, and, I mean, for him, Mike Leach is basically, you know, Mike Leach is his Bear Bryant, more or less. I mean, he grew up in Lubbock when he was at Texas Tech, and, and this is this is the coach he's always wanted to play for. I feel like you're going to see more of this. Now, I'm not saying that Mississippi State's going to go out and get the number one pro-style passing quarterback in the country year in, year out. But when you have a track record of quarterbacks throwing for between four and 5,000 yards and for between 30 and 45 touchdowns on a year-in, year-out basis, it's not really hard to go, okay, that coach is coaching in the SEC, so I can go play in the SEC and potentially put up numbers like that if I actually get on the field. You're going to see more of this. You're going to see quarterbacks that are highly rated commit to Mississippi State because Mike Leach is the coach. Follow-up question, do you think Gardner Minshew is only helping that because there was a narrative, fair or not, that Mike Leach's quarterbacks were exclusively system quarterbacks and the numbers didn't reflect anything other than the offense, but now you have a guy that steps into the NFL, wasn't expected to do anything, and now the Jaguars are all in on him. After one year, do you think that's also going to, or has already played a factor into that? Because that narrative's gone now. I don't see how it could hurt. I don't see how having an NFL quarterback, a young NFL quarterback, uh, in your in your in your tree there uh, would certainly hurt you. The real question for me with Mississippi State is, you know, I, I would expect to get some good and State's gotten good quarterbacks in the past. The past few years, Garrett Trader was highly rated. Keaton Thompson, Jalen Maiden, these are all four star guys. Can they get receivers? Can they start getting four and five star receivers to commit to them? That's going to be the, the the real key. There's a lot of great receivers in this state this year. I think you've got three or four four-star receivers in this state. Uh, and then, of course, in the neighboring states, there's plenty of options there. Can states start getting some of those guys to commit? Because that's what state's not had. State has not had an A.J. Brown or a D.K. Metcalf or a, or any kind of, of talent like that. I mean, in the past, you know, since Eric Moulds left, really. I mean, they just they haven't had one. You know, the thing is, Mike Leach has had some quarterbacks get to the NFL. I mean, if you want to go all the way back to the late 90s when Tim Couch was the number one overall pick after being coached by Mike Leach at uh, at Kentucky, Cliff Kingsbury got to the league, I think only played in one NFL game. Um, B.J. Simons Graham got Harrell, there. B.J. Simons got there. Graham Harrell got there. Um, Luke Falk, did he get to the NFL? Yeah, he He's did. He's still in the NFL, yeah. He's in the NFL. Gardner Minshew's in the NFL. You hear the so Falk started a game or two for the Jets when Darnold got the mono. Yeah, the mono. That is the correct sports talk. Mississippi. We'll be right back with you. Talk Mississippi radio station. Scrolling through the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed during the break and uh, somehow missed this yesterday. Hey, 
I wasn't even like particularly hungry before I read this tweet, but all of a sudden I have a craving. Uh, John Hester says, uh, Sports Talk Mississippi needs to go to Abe's Barbecue in Clarksdale and get a Big Abe's Barbecue Sandwich. Oh, they're so good. Tell you what else is good is the uh, the chili cheeseburger there. Fries are good. And nothing too special about the fries. Little uh, little local secret, though, is uh, while you're waiting on your fries to come out, and they usually come out before the uh, burger does, uh, you can get a uh, sack of potato chips, small bag of potato chips, squirt barbecue sauce on them. <laughs> so good. And they have the uh, the fantastic ice. They've got the uh, flake ice at Abe's. You put barbecue Anybody sauce hungry? on chips? Yeah, man. Not all the time, but uh, while you're sitting there, why not? It's really good. Ketchup and steak guy, too? No, I'm not. <laughs> and those two things are not even remotely related. I just, I don't know if I've ever do heard you, of that do one. You, do you put ketchup on French fries? I do. Okay, but well, I also then that don't would put be, ketchup that on would a baked potato. That would be a similar potato. comparison. That would be a similar comparison. Do you put ketchup People on put a baked potato? put ketchup on French fries. Uh, do you put ketchup? I, I don't put ketchup well be on a baked potato. Yeah. I guess you could if you wanted to. I put barbecue put, sauce on a baked potato. You've do? done that? I have. Yeah, I don't do that regularly, but I, I have, yeah. Interesting. I was just suggesting that the barbecue sauce is so good at Abe's while you're waiting on your Big Abe or your chili cheeseburger to come out. You can grab a sack of potato chips and squirt a little bit of barbecue sauce on the potato chips. Not saying that's what I do every single time I eat chips, Rippy. It's kind of like every single time you eat Pringles, you don't attempt to shove the entire can in your mouth at once. My girlfriend would actually probably argue otherwise, but your point's well taken. Must be nice to eat whatever you want and not gain weight. It is. People used to say that to me too. It changes. <laughs> um, Governor Tate Reeves' official Twitter feed earlier. We will be making a major announcement regarding a new phase in Mississippi's efforts to combat COVID nineteen at three thirty. It will require all of us to adapt in order to save lives. Check your local news or follow on our Facebook page. Well, we're going to do you one better. You don't even have to change the channel. At 3.30, we will bring you the uh, press conference from the governor uh, with regard to COVID-19, and that is coming up about seven or eight minutes from uh, from right now. Hey, Dad, there were a couple of comments uh, related to Sawyer Robertson, though, uh, just a couple of minutes ago that said, you know, Mississippi State, uh, the baseball program had something to do. Sawyer Robertson is a two-sport athlete, and not only did you get – him announcing he was committed to Mississippi State to play football. Uh, he mentioned baseball as well, and you get the uh, kind of cool lights flashing in the stadium graphic from Mississippi State's baseball account. Yeah, gonna gonna play both sports. I, you know that that'll be something interesting. I was fascinated by Ole Miss with with John Rice Plumley, how he was going to make that work, and, and Mississippi State looks like they'll have to do the same thing. You know, and and for him, you know. I don't see him as the starter next year. You know, he'll still have Schrader and Will Rogers ahead of him, uh, and and I don't know how that's going to work. But obviously, Chris Lamonis and, and the baseball program played played a, a role in him getting here. And uh, you know, that's if you can combine a kid, you've got a kid who wants to play 
college baseball. Okay, here's the best stadium in the country. And here's a kid who wants to play quarterback. Okay, here's the guy who puts up the most numbers in the passing game of anybody in the country. Feels like Mississippi State's going to be a good fit for him, just just on the surface. Do you think the baseball was just kind of icing on the cake, or do you think it played into the decision? Um, obviously, without talking to him, I don't really know, but I would imagine it had to play some some role in it for him because he's doing it. He obviously wanted to do it, and I don't know if other schools were, you know, against that idea or anything like that. But it's it seems like it's something he wants to do. So I have to assume, yeah, it played some role in it. Yeah. Before we go to the governor's press conference, we've got five, six minutes before we uh, toss it that direction. Borky, we, we talked about the documentary that was coming out on HBO, The Scheme. It aired last night with the audio and all its glory of Will Wade and other coaches and the, uh, the wiretap phone calls. Dan Wetzel wrote about it. He was one of the uh, co-authors of the original story that kind of blew the lid off the the Yahoo story that uh, outlined some of Will Wade's quotes. And he said, there were even some recordings in the documentary last night that I had not heard before. LSU released a statement. This is a good corporate statement, too. We are aware of the documentary first aired on March 31, 2020 on HBO. There is no change to Coach Will Wade's employment status at LSU. And we will continue to cooperate with all reviews into this matter. I do love that word. Which Re- part? Reviews. Not investigations. That's uh, a review. Yeah. One thing that I had missed somewhere along the uh, along the way. They redid Will Wade's contract before they reinstated him. And if they fire him with cause, they don't owe him anything. And he lost out on $400,000 in bonuses after um, not being the coach for the NCAA tournament run a year ago, postseason run period a year ago. And, I mean, I guess that somewhere along the way, Will Wade dropped the lawyer that he had that was not giving him very good advice and he hired a new lawyer who was more familiar with NCAA matters, and the new lawyer said, yeah, you better make a deal with LSU. And my guess is the new lawyer says, you better make a deal and get what you can get while you can get it, and you better save your money. Now I'm taking some, I don't know, poetic license, journalistic liberty there, just kind of connecting the dots. But I would think that a good lawyer would tell Will Wade, I mean, do you really want to sit out and not get paid for another year? Because if all this stuff eventually comes out, you're going to really not get paid. And you might be toxic and never coach college basketball again. So if you can get back for a year and make 2 or $3 million, probably be a good idea to do that. Yeah, and especially with statements like this, I've seen people say things like, oh, man, LSU really doesn't care. And I used to fall into that line of thinking, but to what you mentioned, it certainly sounds like they are very much prepared to move on if they have to. Like, maybe they don't believe that they're going to get hit, and that's why he continues to be their coach. Maybe if circumstances were different, he wouldn't be. He probably shouldn't be. I mean, I watched it last night. 
the audio, it, it hits different when you hear it instead of read what it says, but they're prepared to move on from him. So they're not just doing the middle fingers to the air to the in, or in the air to the NCAA thing. They are very much preparing themselves to move on if they have to. They're just waiting to see if they have to. Yeah. I uh, want to give you a heads up on what's coming next. Uh, Governor Tate Reeves is uh, getting set to host a press conference uh, in Jackson uh, in which he will announce that he has signed a new executive order establishing a statewide shelter-in-place edict for Mississippi to slow the spread of COVID-19 and protect the health of all who call our state home. The Mississippi Department of Health determined that our state has now reached a critical point in the cycle of the outbreak, and Governor Reeves uh, Reeves is announcing his decision momentarily to issue the shelter-in-place order for Mississippi. Uh, That's going to happen at a press conference that will begin in just a matter of moments. Mississippi is rapidly increasing testing and strictly enforcing quarantines for anyone that investigators believe has been exposed to the virus. The shelter-in-place order will begin this Friday. So you've actually got a couple of days to get ready. This Friday, April 3rd at 5 p.m. and will be in effect until Monday, April 20th at 8 a.m. So it's going to be a 17-day shelter-in-place order coming from the governor's office. Uh, You're going to get details as to what exactly that means. And, you know, obviously reporters that are there are going to have questions. Hopefully some of your questions will be answered in the process. Uh, That's uh, the governor of the state of Mississippi. We're going to carry this press conference live uh, from Jackson and – We will return at some point with you on Sports Talk Mississippi this afternoon. Borky, are we ready? Not quite. We are not quite ready yet. So they have started the the press conference. Nobody's talking yet, but like the live feed is now available. So it'll be any moment now. So again, Governor Tate Reeves getting set to uh, take the podium, and he will announce an executive order establishing a statewide shelter in place for Mississippi That will go into effect on Friday, this Friday, April 3rd at 5 p.m. And will be in effect until Monday, April 20th at 8 a.m. So it's a 17-day shelter-in-place order uh, that will go into effect on Friday. Um, Governor Reeves has been working with uh, state health experts. Uh, There are some stories out there that uh, there have been some pretty strong feedback uh, from the uh, director of UMMC and others. Let's go right now to Jackson and join live the governor of the state of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I'm honored to be joined uh, today uh, by a number of people that will have the opportunity to uh, address uh, the current uh, situation that we find ourselves in as a nation and as a state. Uh, This is obviously a somber time for our country and for our state. Uh, We are all in danger from coast to coast. As leaders, our top priority is and always will be the safety of our citizens. Every day for the last several weeks, we have met with our health experts, we've had conversations, and ultimately we have asked and discussed when is the right time to do various things. In other words, when is the right time 
or is it ever going to be the right time to issue stay-at-home orders, shelter-in-place orders, either for local jurisdictions or for the state as a whole? Late yesterday afternoon and into the evening, as data more and more data began to arrive, it became clear uh, in talking to our experts that that time was near. They told me that we are now at the point in Mississippi's cycle uh, where such drastic measures may be required. Today is the day. We are announcing a shelter-in-place order. It will go into effect Friday at 5 p.m. I'm going to sign it while we're here. Uh, I will let our top health official, uh, Dr. Dobbs, talk to you uh, and explain his thought process uh, behind uh, the timing uh, as well as the data uh, that backs this up. I would really just want to take a moment, though, to offer a simple message to my fellow Mississippians. This will not be easy for anyone, but we believe it is the right course of action. We know that there are many people across our state who are scared, wondering what this means for themselves, for their family members, and what this means for their wages and their ability to put food on the table. We are here for you and working hard to help. Mississippi will not allow you to fall without a helping hand. We know that there are some who still do not have a healthy fear of this virus. They are wrong and they are risking lives if they do not take this very, very seriously. While they may not be risking their own lives, they certainly are risking the lives of their moms, their grandmoms, their dads, their granddads. This order will be enforced. It will be taken very, very seriously. It will not be forever. We will get through this and open our state back up as soon as possible and as soon as our health experts tell me it is wise to do so. As was said yesterday by Dr. Byers, as I'm sure Dr. Dobbs will say today, shelter-in-place orders are not sustainable for months and months and months on end. Our goal in the short term is to prevent our health care system from being overwhelmed. I pray that all of our orders and our preparations will be enough. We believe that this is the right tool at the right time to save lives. Today, this is the best course of action for Mississippi. At this time, I'll turn it over to Dr. Dobbs for some more information. Thank you, Governor, and, and thank you for your leadership on this issue. Um, remarkable time. Um, if we look at what's happening in Mississippi right now, um, since yesterday, you know, we've reported another 136 cases of COVID, another two deaths, putting our total case count at over 1,000. One of the things that's become most worrisome is we've seen an expansion in the number of cases in nursing homes. So we're seeing at this point enough volume of cases where it's starting to infiltrate into a more vulnerable population. If we think about what the purpose of a shelter-in-place order is, it's to slow things down, to give the system an opportunity to get 
extra capacity to deal with the increased demand. And part of that's going to be the healthcare system. If we think about our ICUs, we have adequate ICU beds right now. If we think about ventilators, we have adequate ventilators uh, not in use in hospitals right now. But we know more cases are coming. We know that we're going to have more deaths. We really are still at the front of this thing. But if we can use this tool to slow things down such that we can process patients through the system safely and provide every single patient the resources they need to maximize a chance for recovery, that's what we're doing. And this isn't going to be a cure. It's not going to stop the coronavirus. But what it will do is it'll cause an additional pause. The social distancing measures have been useful, but this additional measure will be that much more useful to slow it down so that we can not only make sure the health system has the capacity to deal with the patients that are coming through, but also for us to be more aggressive in our offensive strategy, tracking, identifying, isolating, quarantining all appropriate individuals to contain it from a microscopic environment. Thank you, Dr. Dobbs. Uh, I have been in contact uh, with uh, Speaker Gunn, uh, Lieutenant Hoseman, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, uh, and their leadership teams, uh, as well as mayors and members of the Board of Supervisors all across uh, the state of Mississippi. Uh, we have constantly been in contact with them uh, over the last three weeks uh, and will continue to do so. Uh, when speaking with Speaker Gunn earlier today, uh, he uh, offered uh, to come and make a few comments today. I'm honored to have him by my side. We've worked closely for eight years, uh, ensuring uh, from a financial standpoint and otherwise that we as a state are prepared to deal with this. And so, Speaker Gunn, thanks for being here, and I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Governor. I am here today just as a sign of support for this decision. I will tell you what got me to this point. I have uh, my number one concern this entire time has been the health of our citizens. I think that is paramount. I think every one of us needs to be concerned about what is the best thing for the health of our citizens. This morning, I had a conversation with our two leading health professionals in the state, Dr. Luann Woodward and then Dr. Dobbs. And I asked them both, if you did not have to have concern for political or economic or any other ramifications, if you were just making a decision based on what is in the best health interest of the citizens of our state, what would you do? And they both said, this is it. So that was convincing to me that this is the step we now need to take. And uh, for me, that is what led me to this point. We are at a point now where we've got to do this. We do not want to be in a situation where we have not done everything that we can possibly do to protect our citizens. And when I asked that question and they said, this is it, then that, that convinced me. So I called the governor at that point and I said, look, I'm convinced now this is what we need to do. If you need me to come and stand with you at a press conference, I will. And he invited me to come, and so that is why I'm here today. I want us, whenever this is over, to look back and say we've done everything we could possibly do. We've been warned by the president. We've been warned by others. There are going to be deaths. There are more people going to die. That's unfortunate. But I don't want them to die because we didn't do everything that we could do. This will hopefully slow down. The, the spread of the virus. We do not need our healthcare system to be overwhelmed. We have limited number of beds, limited number of ventilators. At this point, as I understand it, 
there is no one in the state who is in need of either that doesn't have it. But if we have a tremendous outbreak, it could be to that point. And I don't want it to be said that someone died because we couldn't provide them the health care that they needed. And I think this is the proper step to take to make sure we don't get to that point. We can always overcome the economic stuff but we cannot overcome loss of life. So I am uh, supportive of this, and that is uh, the reason I'm here today. Thank you, Governor. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate your support. At this time, I'm going to ask General Balls to come up as well. Um, one of the th things uh, that we have been doing uh, over the last three or four weeks, working with uh, Director Michelle, uh, working um, with the team at MEMA, uh, and, of course, working with General Balls and his team, uh, is we have been preparing for this crisis as the curve begins to move upward. Um, and I wanted to ask both General Bowles and then uh, once he is done, uh, ask Colonel Michelle to come forward and talk about some of the efforts that have been ongoing uh, to help ensure that if it becomes necessary that we do things like have additional hospital beds, et cetera, that the Guard is ready, willing, and able uh, to help provide that. Uh, our men and women in uniform, every single time through American history, they've been asked to step up. They have done so. I know under the leadership of General Bowles and the high quality and competency of the men and women in the Mississippi National Guard, they'll do it again, and they'll do it well. General Bowles. Thank you, Governor. And I will reiterate what uh, Dr. Dobbs said. We, we truly appreciate your leadership in this uh, special time, interesting time. Uh, Dr. Dobbs, we appreciate your, uh, your agency's leadership also as we continue to support you. The National Guard has about 100 uh, soldiers and airmen currently uh, mobilized to support the state of Mississippi. We recognize that the uh, Mississippi State Department of Health is the lead agency uh, on this, this task force. We work with our partner, uh, MEMA, uh, to support the Department of, um, of Health. Um, we currently are supporting in three ways. Uh, we, are, we are providing planning and logistical support uh, to the state for their efforts in this exercise. We are shipping uh, product all over the state of Mississippi currently. We are providing security support to first responders if needed. Uh, that means that we would never be the lead uh, in a security situation. We would always be in a support role to that local government uh, if needed. And then our third is to always support our fellow agencies. Uh, currently, we are prepared to assess any facilities, Governor, that you may need assessed with uh, the engineers in our formation, and we're prepared to do that also. So along those three efforts, log logistic support, security support, and then partnering with our, our local agencies. Governor, that's all I have. Thank you, General Bowles. appreciate uh, you and your team's efforts in planning and preparation uh, for the days and weeks ahead. Thank you, sir. At this time, I'm going to ask um, Colonel Michelle, the uh, director of the uh, Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, uh, the lead agency for uh, preparation and, and management of uh, the emergency itself. Colonel Michelle, could you talk a little bit about uh, your, um, your efforts over the last several weeks and what you see in the coming days and weeks ahead? Yes, Governor. Thank you. Um, one of the things uh, that has been one of the one of the more challenging issues with the COVID response has been, of course, uh, getting the appropriate supplies in that we need for, uh, first of all, our healthcare workers, healthcare providers, healthcare facilities, and then our tier threes, where our first responders, emergency responders, 
we've been working, this is not an issue just for Mississippi. This is an issue that's been uh, global. It's an issue that's been nationally at all states been working with, but we've been working uh, with great success and starting to get supplies in. It's taken a little longer to do that. As everyone knows, we've talked with a number of uh, healthcare facilities and uh, hospitals about those supplies, and we certainly understand their concerns, but I can assure you that those resources are coming in, and as we sat over there earlier, we're getting notifications of supplies coming in. And one of the other things that, uh, just to address that Dr. Dobbs had mentioned earlier about the expansion uh, of ICU beds, should that need arise, ventilators, um, uh, we have a team together in conjunction with the National Guard. You heard General Boyle's address talk about their strategic planners are working with us. Uh, we will be set to brief the governor and General Boyle's and Dr. Dobbs on where those expansion capabilities exist, uh, how we would execute that, and also how we'd be resourcing those, uh, those valuable and critical needs such as ventilators. Um, we thanks to our partners at Mississippi State University that's worked on uh, converting some ventilators that we had that were emergency ventilators, battery powered to AC. We certainly appreciate that. And we've had uh, much success uh, here lately with resourcing and finding some ventilators that we uh, anticipate receiving over the next couple of weeks uh, to ensure that we have those resources when the need, uh, if the need arises, to expand those intensive care uh, treatment facilities. Other than that, Governor, we appreciate your leadership. Uh, MEMA continues to uh, um, certainly be proud to be a part of this event and uh, continue to resource uh, our partners as we need, sir. Thank you, uh, Colonel Michelle. Uh, before I open the floor uh, to answer your questions, I just want to um, say a special thank you uh, to a few folks. First of all, to our uh, emergency first responders, our healthcare workers, uh, our doctors, our nurses, um, and everyone in the healthcare field uh, that is that are on the front lines of this response, I want to personally say thank you. You are the heroes in this, and we appreciate you, and we're going to do everything we can to ensure that you have the equipment that you need to continue to provide the quality of service that you are providing. And then secondly, uh, I can't tell you how many uh, emails and texts and voicemails uh, that I've received from people around the state uh, telling me that they're praying for us. That means a lot. It means an awful lot. So thank you very much. And at this time, I'm going to open the floor to questions. Scott. Governor, how is this shelter-in-place order different from what have been the cautionary warnings we've had in place? How will it change from what people have already been told not to do already? I'm going to sign it right quick. Um, minor details, but, but important ones. Um, I will tell you that for the 75 to 90% of the people in Mississippi who have been adhering to uh, the executive orders that have been issued uh, throughout the state uh, by my office uh, over the last uh, several weeks. Um, this executive order is not going to significantly alter or change uh, their life. Uh, what this particular executive order does, and it is very similar uh, to the order uh, that was put in place yesterday for Lauderdale County, uh, it does uh, outline uh, the ability for individuals to um, to um, uh, continue essential business operations. Uh, grocery stores are going to stay open. Uh, other essential operations are going to stay open. Uh, again, as defined by the executive order from several weeks ago, uh, speaking from the Cyber uh, Security and Infrastructure uh, Committee, uh, those uh, guidelines are in place defining essential operations. Uh, some of the areas in which um, we have 
decided that um, we are going to put in writing uh, with the signature here uh, in terms of prohibited activities. Uh, they are, um, of course, all public and private, social and other non-essential gatherings of groups of more than 10 people, but also uh, this is going to shut down all places of amusement and recreation, whether indoors or outdoors, including but not limited to amusement parks, rides, museums, playgrounds, children's party and play facilities, all parks, including all beaches, lakes, and reservoirs, but not including walking trails, uh, movie theaters, bowling alleys, and social clubs uh, are being closed. In addition to that, um, it is going to uh, give us uh, additional uh, ability to enforce uh, these public gatherings. One of the challenges that we're having uh, across the state uh, is, um, and this is uh, this is a um, this is a downside of some businesses closing. You've got certain communities throughout the state where we're beginning to see clusters um, of people who are not working, and rather than staying at home, they're gathering in groups, and that is something that is leading to uh, transmittal and, and, and group um, transfer, and so this should give our local law enforcement officers more ability to enforce uh, the the guidelines uh, and we are going to be talking over the next uh, we've already started the conversation but we're going to continue to have discussions over the next couple of hours and days of ways in which we can utilize state resources um, and state police to help our local law enforcement officers enforce this where it is necessary. One of the things that we have um, in the state of Mississippi and one, of, and one of the areas in which the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency has a fantastic record of working with various state entities, specifically uh, the Mississippi Department of Transportation's law enforcement uh, entities, as well as Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks, uh, Mississippi Department of Marine Resources, and the Mississippi Highway Patrol. Uh, we will have each of those uh, interconnected uh, into the enforcement mechanism uh, again. Um, but I want to be clear about something. The single most important enforcement mechanism that we can have in the state of Mississippi is you, the people of our state. If you will self-enforce this, it will go a long way towards slowing the spread. If you will stay at home, unless it is absolutely essential to do so, if you will stay at home, even if you're an essential employee, unless it is going to and from work, then we will be successful in continuing to slow the spread. Courtney bit more about the enforcement piece in regards to people might be wondering at home are they going to have to have any kind of documentation to prove that they're going to work if the grocery stores aren't closed then obviously they wouldn't have anything that would prove that to what extent should they expect enforcement in that regard well what i would tell you is if an individual is in their vehicle driving either to work or to the grocery store there is very little likelihood that they're going to transfer it to themselves or to anyone else. And I'll let Dr. Dobbs speak to that from a public health standpoint. But if we will be smart and we will understand that we practice social distancing, uh, that we don't get within uh, five to six feet of other 
uh, individuals, no matter what we are doing, whether in public or otherwise, if we're only leaving our home to go to the grocery store or to the pharmacy or to and from work, if you are an essential employee, uh, such as a healthcare worker, uh, et cetera, then I think that this will be successful. But enforcement is a challenge always. Enforcement is a challenge for every law we have on the books. It is impossible for us to enforce the um, murder statutes that we have. And unfortunately, uh, people break the law every day. But in this instance, uh, violating this executive order not only puts yourself at risk, but it puts other Mississippians at risk. And, and though you may be healthy, your grandmother or your mother or your granddad or your dad may not be. And if you were to go out in public and gather with 10 or 15 or 20 people and you contract it, you may take it back to your, your home where you may live with your grandmother and you may put her at jeopardy. And so I, I can't stress enough that the single best mechanism for enforcement is for individuals to enforce it themselves. Um, but we are going to step up law enforcement. Uh, we are going to assist local officials ensuring that we don't have large groups gathering on our beaches. And I don't care if those large groups are from Louisiana or from Mississippi or from some other state. We are going to ensure that that is, does not occur uh, effective at 5 p.m. on Friday. It shouldn't be occurring now. It's already uh, against the executive order uh, that was issued weeks ago of groups of 10 or more. But we now have the ability to further resource uh, so that we can help those local law enforcement agencies that need and won't help. We're not gonna come in and take over anywhere. We've got, we've got the best law enforcement officers of anywhere in the world. We've got sheriffs on the coast to all the way through North Mississippi that know what they're doing. If they need help, we wanna try to do everything we can. If they'll go through their emergency managers and talk to uh, MEMA uh, to, to do that. Yes, sir, Byron, not Byron. We've known for a very long time. You asked much harder questions in the debate than Byron did. We have uh, known for a very long time that this is very contagious and it spreads like wildfires. We had a hotbed in New Orleans. Uh, did you have to overcome political ramifications and perhaps some economic ramifications to get to this decision? Well, to be honest with you, um, if I was going to make the politically easy decision, I would have entered a, an order such as this weeks and weeks ago. That was the easy decision politically uh, because there were lots of people um, calling on lots of different political leaders to make that decision. Uh, for me, uh, the decision uh, has always been data-driven, and it has always been based upon the advice of the experts. Um, today, uh, after um, conversations late yesterday, and the data that we uh, had gotten in um, was the first day that our health experts said that maybe today is the day. Now, I will tell you, uh, that, and we had numerous conversations, and I'll let Dr. Dobbs address this as well. We had numerous conversations about the fact that there were some areas of the state that it was more important uh, that we move forward more quickly. Um, for instance, you look at the Mississippi Gulf Coast region, Pearl River County. Um, just, to, just to give you a, an idea, yesterday, yesterday in Louisiana, they had 1,212 new cases and 54 deaths. That's more total cases than we have in the state of Mississippi from the entire event uh, and more deaths than we currently have. And so when you're looking at what's happening down in Orleans Parish specifically, but it's throughout that New Orleans region, 
that leads us to uh, make some some decisions. We uh, had a conversation uh, over through the night and, and again this morning uh, about the possibility of just expanding this to uh, a few other counties, five, six, seven, eight counties. No, and and the question that I asked was, do we think within the next several days uh, that we're going to ultimately get to the point? where the recommendation will be um, we need to expand it much more broadly. Um, and, and in talking to Dr. Dobbs, and I'll let him address this, um, we felt like uh, that that probably was coming in the days ahead, and therefore, in my mind, it made sense uh, to go ahead and do the expansion statewide. Dr. Dobbs, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. No, thank you, Governor. If, if you look at where we are in, in our state epidemic, um, you know, we're, we're well earlier than other states were when they did shelter in place, right? So um, we have the, the benefit of seeing what happened where they were. Now, this is gonna be disruptive. It's gonna be difficult to maintain. The previous measures were, were actually helpful, and certainly if people had complied, would have been even better. But just because we're starting to see this increase and, and for a targeted period of time, if we can strongly enforce this to give us a chance to make sure that we don't overburden the healthcare system, that we can adequately resource the healthcare system. We've heard of the challenges that MEMA's faced in getting resources. It's just the right time. And, and the populace of Mississippi seems ready for it. And I think now's the time where it can be most successful. Yes, uh, I know uh, non-essential businesses are expected to keep their operations to the minimum possible standard in order to continue operations. Are there any expectations that essential businesses, which are broadly defined, will also have to reduce the scope of their operations or institute things like work from home? Right. Well, that's a, that's a great question. And so um, the, the one thing I would say is that non-essential businesses are, are not only expected uh, to only um, operate with minimum operations, they are required to operate with only minimum operations uh, as defined in uh, the order. And so um, as it relates to essential businesses, uh, we continue to encourage them to, uh, to exercise where possible uh, with uh, assuming that they are doing so in a way that, that the social distancing requirements, the, uh, the other uh, things that we have already put in place, the, the gatherings of not more than 10 in small groups, uh, are, are continuing to happen both in essential and non-essential businesses. But when it comes to places like grocery stores, they have to stay open and we have to protect them and ensure that they stay open because we would, if we allowed uh, ordinances or other things to occur that, that put uh, those grocery store in jeopardy or limited their ability to restock their shelves, et cetera, then we would see a panic uh, in our state. We do not need to panic. We need to recognize the seriousness of this situation. Uh, we need to do the right things, and if we will do that, uh, we will we will get through this. Um, yes, sir. I'll come back to you. Just, yes, sir. I got a question actually for Director Michelle. Okay. Uh, Director Michelle, you had mentioned uh, that you're getting supplies soon. I was hoping you could maybe go into a little bit more detail about that. I was talking with a hospital up in North Mississippi today uh, who said that for days and for weeks they've been ordering uh, new supplies, basic supplies like masks, and not been getting them. Uh, the director of nursing up there told me that she's keeping an emergency stockpile in her office of masks. That stockpile is 10, you know, and so on. 
if you could just maybe give a little more clarity and a little more specifics on what is coming to run. Yeah, uh, and, we, and we get a lot of calls like that, and we know that a lot of hospitals are operating uh, in their emergency stash. Uh, it's good that they, they plan that way to have that. We are actually probably four days um, later than I would have liked to have been on getting some of the supplies in. Uh, a lot of what we ran into uh, were logistical issues, not necessarily acquiring, getting the supplies uh, finally once we got those pipelines, but actually the trucking piece, um, the cargo flight piece are so backed up because of the global demand on these products that we've had uh, some delays. We had masks come in today. Uh, we've had hand sanitizer come in today. We've got two truckloads of more hand sanitizer um, and um, um, uh, sanitizer for, for floors and for facilities. So all this stuff is, excuse me, is coming in. Um, the Mississippi Department of Health has been making regular shipments, although they've been smaller than we would like them to be, to the Tier 1 facilities. Uh, although as our cases continue to increase, those Tier 1 facilities also increase, so the demand on what we do have is much greater. But uh, we're getting, we're starting to get visibility on stuff coming in, and as that stuff comes in, we will push it out as quickly as we can. Is that well, so we did get our last uh, shipment of the national stockpile. It came in two days ago. Uh, it was, again, a, a small shipment, but that's what we've been getting of the national stockpile, the three shipments that we've received. The majority of what we've got that we anticipate coming in now are things that we've gone out and locally procured with, uh, with our state resources. Let me just follow up with that as well. You know, and I've told this story before. And I want to tell it again because I want people to understand uh, the challenges that, that exist in this entire country and, quite frankly, across the globe. Uh, and I, it's easy for us because we, most of us were around when Hurricane Katrina hit. When Hurricane Katrina hit, from an economic standpoint, from a financial standpoint, we know the damage it did to, to, to literally hundreds of thousands of lives. But from a number standpoint, that disaster was five times larger than any natural disaster in the history of our country. But the difference was, for all intents and purposes, it only affected Mississippi and Louisiana. And so the next day, and in some cases the, the day of Hurricane Katrina, we had help pouring into our state from all 48 other states. In this particular event, um, every state is dealing with it. And therefore, not only are we competing with the federal government, we're also competing with each other. And quite frankly, we're competing with other countries uh, for this critical equipment. One of, the, one of the goals of the social distancing that we've had in place for a number of weeks, followed by the um, shelter in place that we're gonna implement here for the next couple of weeks, is to slow the spread of the virus so as to not put too much stress on our healthcare system. That also gives us some time to, for manufacturers to actually go out and manufacture more of this PPE equipment and more of the ventilators that we need. It also gives us time to, um, to be successful in, in acquiring more and more of that. That is why I believe this is the right time uh, to do this. Um, as uh, Dr. Byers said yesterday, as Dr. Dobbs said today, as they have repeatedly said to me, a shelter in place for months and months on end becomes impossible to regulate and it becomes impossible to ensure compliance. That's the reason we put uh, a time period on this particular executive order. Uh, it goes into effect at 5 p.m. on Friday. Uh, it 
is scheduled to conclude at 8 a.m. on Monday, April the 20th. Now, as the situation evolves, we will make further decisions, but that is the plan right now. It's just slightly longer than the 14 days uh, that we believe is a realistic period, but we have to make sure that our people understand that if you will comply and if you will do your part over the next two weeks, um, we'll be able to slow this spread. We'll have better data uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, and then hopefully uh, we can uh, remove this as scheduled and as planned. Yes, sir, you had a follow-up. I know. Follow-up. Uh, because of the relatively broad nature of essential businesses in the original executive order, is there any thought to uh, kind of closing down that definition just a little bit for the purpose of this um, shelter-in-place order? I know, obviously, healthcare services and uh, grocery stores would not be affected, but is there any thought of, of limiting that? No, the, the essential businesses that were outlined in the original executive order uh, was almost exclusively depended upon uh, the essential businesses that were outlined by the Office of Homeland Security um, in the United States government, their Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Task Force. It is critical that we ensure that the supply chain in America continues because if it does not, then we will not be able to receive the PPEs that we badly need. We will not be able to receive the things that we need to make sure our healthcare workers and others are protected. And so uh, that that is um, now the thing, what we did do in this executive order is we went a step further in outlining those things that are not essential. And so that's why you see us uh, specifically mention amusement parks and rides and museums and playgrounds. You know, one of the things that we're hearing from local elected officials is that in some communities, uh, folks are, are gathering up at the playground. And while person-to-person -person transmission is um, unlikely, as long as you're six feet apart and, and outdoors, we're seeing that that gathering and that clustering is far more than 10 people or more. And so that's the reason we went further in uh, identifying what those prohibited activities are. And I want say the reservoir. If two people are on a boat, do they get stopped by wildlife and fisheries and tell them to go home? You know, can they go to a liquor store? Is a liquor store considered essential? Where, can you provide any clarity in those areas? Um, liquor stores are not going to be closed. Um, the um, reservoirs um, are uh, listed here as uh, areas that um, that are going to be closed. Uh, and the reason for that is we, what we saw last weekend, and the weather's beautiful out. What a beautiful day it is in Mississippi today. Um, but what we found is that not in all areas, and it was fairly limited, uh, but there were certainly, for instance, people uh, taking their boats upriver last weekend and stopping on sandbars, and I can assure you, because we flew over it, um, some of you were, were with me, um, we flew over, and there were definitely people upriver uh, that um, were gathered in groups much larger than 10 or more, uh, and because of that, we're going to have to shut that down. Would they be warned first and then arrested? What's the well, I, I, you know, uh, I, I think there, there are definitely enforcement measures in here that would allow for them to be arrested. I think most law enforcement officers in Mississippi are going to are probably going to take the initial step and just go in and break them up and say, you can't be here. Um, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, but uh, the reality is that um, it would be just uh, much easier, much smarter if individuals will comply uh, and not do those things. So, yes, sir. 
just an update on the Department of Corrections. Have any inmates been tested? Uh, what's the update on that situation? Yeah, so the, the latest update I received, and I, I've got to admit it, it wasn't today, uh, but the latest update that I received uh, was that uh, there is a mechanism in place uh, and a policy in place whereby uh, if any inmate were to uh, be showing symptoms, uh, that they would be sent to the infirmary. They would first be tested for um, the common flu uh, as well as um, other uh, possibilities that could lead to these things. Obviously, this, this time of year, there's a lot of people, for instance, have sinusitis and things such as that. Um, but I have not been told that any uh, inmate, to my knowledge, um, that was in a prison facility uh, had um, tested positive for COVID-19. And, and so that's, that's where we are right now. Bobby? Just continue on what Scott and some other people are talking about the essential businesses, just from a practical standpoint. Walmart would be open because they sell groceries, but uh, say a clothing store or telephone store, store, store so computers or telephones or whatever would not be open. Is that correct? Well, I think that um, if you talk about clothing stores, uh, clearly uh, they should be closed. Uh, they're, they're not listed as essential operations um, in the order. Uh, there are a few, not many, but there are a few around the state that says since they were not explicitly listed as being non-essential, therefore they, they believe they were essential. Uh, I don't think that is a, a reasonable interpretation of this order. Uh, clothing stores should be closed. Um, with respect to you know, you mentioned computer um, stores. You know, there's a we'll, um, one of the things I will say is we do allow for uh, data operations. Um, you know, I will tell you in, in these times, we do have a lot of kids that are learning from home. Um, we have a lot of kids that uh, are practicing distance learning. Uh, and so uh, some of those supplies uh, may fit into the category of being essential. I'll have to uh, get back with you on specifics on that. But again, it, Generally speaking, uh, if you're not listed in the order as a, an essential business or if you have to ask yourself, hey, am I essential or not, you're probably not essential. Yes, Courtney. I have a question regarding the, the nursing homes. And I noticed that now the Department of Health, you guys are listing some of the counties where there have been problems within those facilities. Smith County has listed one of the nursing homes there said several residents had tested positive, but only one case is showing up for Smith County. Can you provide any clarity on that, Dr. Dobbs? Um, I'm not sure about that specifically. Um, I mean, I don't know about this one, but a lot of times um, that would obviously be their, their residents. But sometimes actually there's a delay, and that, that probably what it is for, for, for this scenario. Um, but the other thing is for a lot of the counties, if people's official residence is in a neighboring county, that happens a lot. And so some of those discrepancies come up, it gets people really bent out of shape, but there's always been an explanation so far. Where do we stand on the ventilators though and the masks? Are we short now? Are we under supplied? Are we good? Things like that. Well, on, on the ventilator piece, we have plenty for Mississippians today. It's not today we're worried about, it's next week and the week after next. And so we do a, a daily inventory of ventilators and we know how many that we have available. We know that we have an expandable access to ventilators if we start looking at those that are used in operating rooms because operating rooms are pretty silent these days. So we, we can expand that pretty quickly, but it's that next phase that we're really worried about. So if we can bend the curve down hard, maybe we'll never need more, but we need to be prepared. But, but general, I mean, um, 
I gave you a promotion, sorry. Uh, Colonel Michelle has um, done a fantastic job tracking down stuff. He's, he's been amazing, and, and I, I think that we're in better shape because of his work. Real quick on that, though, what is the daily number of ventilators today? It changes so quickly. Um, it's not something we want to publish. Um, and it's also something that people would freak out if they were looking and seeing, oh, it's gone up 10% or down 10%. So it's such a dynamic number that we don't publish it. We are, we are below average utilization for this time of year. We have more ventilators and ICU beds than we normally do available. Right now. Right now, yeah. yeah. Do you have a number on how many were converted? You mentioned that MSU had converted some. Do you have a number on how many that maybe additional ones that we have sure. in circuit that we wouldn't have otherwise? Right, so what we had, what the Mississippi Department of Health had was a number of uh, emergency ventilators that were battery powered, that were used during times, using Katrina's example, where individuals would have to be transported from a facility that lost power and in transit, these battery powered. 500 of those were sent to Mississippi State University. They were received yesterday. They've immediately started reworking those, converting them from battery to AC power. So that's another 500 to help and assist as backup surge should they become necessary. Yeah, and let me, let me just say this also. Um, we, we met earlier today um, with uh, these two gentlemen and others and are looking also at the procurement process, at the potential of acquiring additional uh, ventilators. Uh, again, uh, for those individual states who are um, spiking today, um, that, that is a, a major issue. Um, the, the more time goes by before our um, peak utilization occurs, the more opportunity we have to continue to build on the number of ventilators that we have. But the other thing I will just tell you, um, and this is just a, a fact that we're seeing in other states um, and that we are uh, addressing here in terms of our planning phases is uh, you not only have to have ventilators, but ventilators, uh, and again, this is uh, beyond my scope of expertise, but ventilators don't operate themselves. And so uh, we've got to have uh, competent people and quality people. And so we are calling um, on all Mississippians who who have this level of expertise. You may be retired. You may be, um, you may not be working right now. Uh, we are working with uh, State Medical Association and other groups uh, to put together uh, individuals that would be willing to come back to work or, or that may, for instance, work at a, uh, an elective surgery center uh, that is not currently open uh, but has the capacity and the capability of uh, working uh, ventilators and, and, and helping in this uh, situation. Uh, we need all Mississippians to step up. Uh, and be prepared to help us with this. We, this is, we're not going to hit our peak capacity tomorrow, uh, but it could be next week. It could be the week after that. And so we're, we're working very hard to, um, to make sure that uh, in the event of uh, a surge like we're seeing in New Orleans uh, right now, uh, that we have the ability to do that. Yes, sir. Dr. Dobbs, how many coronavirus patients are on ventilators right now? That's a really fluid number. It's not something we, tr we track readily. But if you look at, well, we're not calling the ICU every day, seeing if they're off the ventilator, because it, it changes very quickly. Now, what we do track, we track ICU beds, who's in them, what their care has been. And we know that about 5% of COVID patients are that, are that are diagnosed end up in the ICU. And, if you, and just for extrapolation perspective, about 75% 75 of patients that go in the intensive care unit end up needing a mechanical ventilator. Uh, 
Department of Health is reporting every day. Yeah. They give you the number of hospitalized yeah. patients, yeah. which y'all are do because we have to add it up ourselves in the bar graphs. And they're also giving you the number of patients every day of ICU patients right there on their website. Mm -hmm. So why can't we get that information? Well, we can work on that if you'd like. Rules of follow-up on the MDOC question. Have, um, have any MDOC corrections officers tested positive for coronavirus? Not to my knowledge, but I'll we'll follow up on that. I, I have not been alerted that we have, but I will check on that. Scott. Schools, are you ready to make a call yet that school year is done? Do we start restricting daycare sizes at this point? Well, I, I am not um, ready to make a, a call at this point on schools. Uh, obviously, they are closed uh, until what is in effect April 20th, uh, which is the same day that this order would um, would be in effect until. And so my anticipation is as we uh, get a week or two out and see what the curve does in Mississippi um, and kind of where we find ourselves, we'll make those decisions in, in the coming days. But I just want to be clear, there are an awful lot of Mississippi students who are learning, uh, who are doing assignments, who are doing work, uh, and that's important. And that's one of the uh, one of the things that may come out of this particular uh, event is we're learning a lot of new ways to be innovative. I, I, I can't brag on our uh, universities enough, by the way. Uh, Greg mentioned Mississippi State working to help us on ventilators. Uh, the University of Mississippi Medical Center uh, has uh, utilized their labs to help provide additional testing um, and found a way to test and, and also uh, has done a fantastic job uh, on helping us on testing sites. The University of Southern Mississippi's uh, biochemistry folks and, and, and Dr. Bennett has been working with Forest General to also increase testing capabilities. And I think if you look, at, if you look on the Department of Health's website, and I gotta give them credit for this, um, if you look at where all throughout Mississippi there are testing capabilities going on right now, it is pretty broad geographically. I think that's one of the reasons that we are um, um, we have we are in a, a better spot than many states, given where we are on the curve uh, from a testing standpoint. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do on on a lot of different things. None of this is is easy, uh, but we have made some real progress there, and I think that's good. Daycares? Uh, are we going to restrict sizes of daycares? Um, still. I'll turn it over to Dr. Dobbs. We've had a lot of conversations about what the best practice is. I mean, a lot of daycares have closed and have restricted their practices, but we expect to give them some clear guidance soon. Bob, uh, we talked last week about the big federal money coming in to the state from the, the, the big federal legislation. Can you talk about using that for response. Can you, can you use that money also to fill budget holes that are probably going way down? And you control that money? Um, so the, the answer to the last question is that the, the uh, bill that the president signed does give control of the money to the governor. Um, the, it does uh, say in it uh, that you uh, have to use that money on expenditures that were not otherwise budgeted for in the most recently passed budget. Now, Obviously, you get 100 lawyers in the room, and they could probably uh, debate and, and argue as to exactly what that means. Um, but I don't think it, it really allows for uh, the plugging of budget holes. Um, I think it allows for the expenditure of COVID-19-related expenditures uh, to ensure that we can do things. For instance, you know, every hospital in Mississippi, uh, when, we, when, when this became an issue, uh, had 
a number of masks uh, on hand, not a large enough number, but they had a number of masks on hand, and they had a traditional supply chain in which they typically they typically utilize to put the number to put mask uh, in the hands of those uh, employees. Well, obviously those supply chains in many instances have have dried up. So we as a state have had to work with the federal government in some instances, but also go out and utilize our own resources to go out and find more of those masks. Those are the kind of expenditures that I would anticipate using that money for. Um, and some of it may also be FEMA reimbursed. And so um, the thing that uh, I will tell you is uh, we will not not do anything in our power to ensure that we have adequate resources for all of our health care workers based upon money. We will find the resources to make uh, every possible effort to protect uh, our health care professionals and protect every possible Mississippian. Yes, sir. Yeah, so uh, I know recently you guys have talked about how you've been in conversation with uh, Vice President Pence and his task force, and at that time, uh, the Vice President was not recommending shutting the state down. Have you received any further I guess, communication from the White House Vice President Pence on whether or not to shut the state down? Uh, I have not asked in the uh, last um, several days, um, and so uh, they have made a decision not to shut down uh, from a national standpoint, um, and and I think the reason they've made that decision is because they look uh, and recognize that there are different parts of the country that are different parts of the cycle, and so um, and they have been very uh, quick to give much latitude to the governors to do what they believe is in the best interest of their citizens. Um, but no, I have not I have not been given guidance by anyone at the White House that this is the right time or not the right time. I've been given guidance by our health care experts here in Mississippi, our public health experts like Dr. Dobbs and others, uh, but not anyone from the White House. Did Dr. Woodward's letter uh, correspondence, was that a... Uh... I've been in constant contact with Dr. Woodward um, over, the, over the last uh, several weeks, um, and so uh, obviously uh, she is a very vital uh, person in our health care sphere. Uh, here in Mississippi, and, and, and I've been fortunate to uh, seek her guidance uh, as well as that of many other uh, professionals uh, over the last several weeks. Yes, sir. Dr. Dobbs, over in China and other places in Italy, one problem they've had is the healthcare workers become infected. They become virus vectors. I think in China it was like 3,000 nurses and doctors were infected, about what, 30, 40 doctors died. How many of our healthcare professionals so far become infected with this virus? Um, keep track of that. You know, we do have that number. We don't post it. Um, um, we always try to put information out there that balances the the needs, you know, the general public, but also that protects the anonymity of different folks. And certainly, as we have more and more people, as you've noticed, we've had more and more information available on the website, and, and expect to see that testing numbers and that sort of thing will be more and more available. Um, but the healthcare workforce is a significant component. Um, but one of the things that people aren't paying attention to, and, and maybe we can put more to this, is the number of people who are getting it from social gatherings like funerals. That's really been a big problem for us, are these social gatherings. So um, it, the healthcare is certainly gonna be impacted, but actually a lot more of our cases have come from non-healthcare associated exposures than other group activities outside of healthcare. Um, I don't have that with me, but we're not planning on sharing that. 
Simon. Oh, yes, absolutely. Let me just say, I want to say a couple of things. Um, number one, um, I have a, having watched this uh, global pandemic unfold, um, I have a really difficult time um, believing some of the numbers that are coming out of China in terms of um, how many individuals are, um, have contracted the virus, how many deaths that they've had in, in, in large part um, due to uh, what's happening in virtually every other country around the world. Uh, I just want to point that out. Uh, I don't think we can use the numbers that they are, are quoting to the worldwide press um, as necessarily as fact. Um, the other thing uh, that I would say is that um, we have, it's critically important that we um, understand that many of the clusters that we're seeing in other parts, in various parts of the state, um, and that the data is clear. And, and, and what I will tell you is that Dr. Dobbs and his team have done a fantastic job of, of, of implementing our strategy of, of identifying and isolating where these uh, cases are coming from. And far too often the answer is a funeral, a wedding, and as we go forward, um, let me just say, uh, funerals and weddings of people of 10 or more and church services of people of 10 or more on Sunday mornings should not be happening. And, and, and look, the fact of the matter is uh, Easter Sunday is coming up. Uh, Easter Sunday is actually going to occur between now and when this stay-at-home order um, is completed. And that gives me great heartburn because so many people in society today um, don't go to church every Sunday anymore and some of them just go on Christmas and just go on Easter and so it gives me great uh, reason for concern uh, that Easter Sunday is upcoming and it is in the middle of this stay at, in this um, shelter in place order but um, for the safety of yourselves and the safety of your loved ones and for the safety of all Mississippians I have to ask you, do not gather in groups of 10 or more, even if that um, is on Easter Sunday. It is critically important that we worship, that we worship every, every day of the week, that we pray every single day of the week, but we don't need large gatherings of people in small churches. Um, and, and I think that's, um, again, uh, it's one of the more difficult things for me to say in this whole endeavor, but it is, it just, from a public health standpoint, is just a fact. Suggestion or a mandate? Well, that is what I am telling. That is what I am telling the, the people of Mississippi. Uh, I have said um, repeatedly uh, that uh, I don't think that um, the, the the government can shut down churches, uh, but I do think we can limit their ability uh, to gather. The executive order that I signed several weeks ago makes it implicitly clear uh, that you cannot. Um, gathering groups of 10 or more for social gatherings, and, and I think that fits that category. Uh, We've had yes, some people reach out about hardware stores, Lowe's, Home Depot, gardening centers, about whether or not they're essential or not. Could you offer some clarity on that? Well, what I would tell you is um, I think uh, many of the hardware stores are uh, considered essential under the um, guidelines that was set forth in the original executive order. One of the things, you know, it, it's, it's easy for those of us in, in Mississippi 
um, particularly in the larger metropolitan areas, to, to start um, differentiating between this store and that store and this store and that store. But in many communities around our state, you got one store that is the hardware store and it's the grocery store and it's, the, uh, and it's everything else. And so um, what I would tell you is no matter uh, that store, if it is open, uh, it is critically important that you exercise social distancing, that you stay within six feet or do not get within six feet of the other shoppers um, that you, and by the way, many of those that are open have, have implemented strategies where they make that a reality. If you're in line, for instance, there'll be um, tape, uh, duct tape on the floors, which uh, differentiates that six foot space. And so uh, whether the, the store is open or not, uh, you should still, uh, for the good of yourself and the good of your neighbors, uh, exercise uh, those guidelines of not clustering, of staying at least six feet apart. Also, Governor, uh, the order goes, goes into effect Friday, uh, and people will hear things that they want to hear. How do you prevent people from hoarding supplies, say, oh, it's Friday, we're about to shut shelter in place, we need to go grab all the bread we can? Well, what I would tell you is the same thing that I've been saying throughout this uh, uh, situation. Uh, the grocery stores are going to stay open uh, because not only do we, not only are we mandating a shelter in place, we're also saying that grocery stores um, and those who provide food, uh, including restaurants that now can only provide um, curbside service uh, or pickup, uh, that those are essential services and they cannot be shut down by any governmental entity. And so um, the supply chain is working. Uh, we have actually, uh, over the last several days, have been working on a number of things, such as um, a number of things, such as um, loosening some um, restrictions, uh, w working with the Department of Transportation to make sure goods and services get to uh, where they need to be, so people can get it. There is no reason, even with this shelter-in-place in order, for you to go and stock up for the next six months. Um, think of your friends, think of your neighbors, uh, go and buy groceries for a week to 10 days as you normally would do. And if you do that, then every Mississippian will have the ability to get what they need, to have the necessary supplies uh, so that we can all, working together, get through this. Scott. There have been some gyms that have been open, some that have shut down. Should gyms be closed down? Should they be allowed to remain open? Under this order, they shall be sh shut down. The gyms they, have to be shut down. The gyms will be shut down. Governor, I hate to do this, but what about construction workers? Because like building, building a house or working on a house? Or well, I think that what you have to find um, is uh, do they fit the category of an essential service um, as defined under the uh, Cybersecurity uh, and Infrastructure Task Force? I think in some instances they would be able to, to meet the guidelines that they've set forth as essential services, but that's going to be something that has to be determined on a case-by-case -case basis. But while we're piling on car sales. <laughs> Car sales, like, like I will tell you again, the executive order that we signed uh, 10 days ago uh, outlining uh, essential services, I, I didn't commit that page and a half to memory. Let me take a look at it, and we'll get back to you. Okay. okay. Yeah, Dr. Dobbs, this is something we talked about earlier, but um, going back to nursing homes, do you know specifically how many nursing homes have outbreaks currently and how many residents are infected? Yes. We Can you release those numbers? Well, we're releasing the uh, number of counties with it, but as we get more information, 
you know, ag again, it's a it's a delicate balance between anonymity and um, and public information. You know, as more more numbers accumulate, we can safely release information. Um, so there'll be more information coming out. I want to do a follow-up on the nursing homes. Um, getting tipped calls from readers, uh -huh. and they can't check on their loved ones in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. Who is responsible for doing that? And whoever it is, are they doing increased inspections? Because some nursing homes, let's be honest, they don't have a great record of taking care of their whatever you call it, patients. What are y'all doing about that to increase inspections so people aren't just boring all the time? Well, um, our inspectors are still working, right? And well, and, and so they're there. We are not increasing the frequency and mostly are doing complaints. Now, I understand that, that that's an issue, but we are in regular communication, not only with the nursing homes, but also the associations that oversee those homes. Um, you know, we are certainly in a lot now because of the outbreaks we're having. So they're getting a lot of scrutiny when those occur, but we're not in increasing routine inspections for the obvious reason we don't want different people coming in and out of there we want the stable population of folks as much as we can without bringing in potential, you know, new infection. It's hard for them to talk on the flanks, but they're not able to go in there and check them. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. Right. No, I understand. I understand that. I understand what a challenge that is. Going back to the healthcare workers and PPEs, and you talked about healthcare workers have been infected, but there's been no healthcare workers who had to work in the state, and especially uh, emergency responders without proper uh, equipment has. And it, would they be expected to make uh, calls without the proper equipment? There is no, um, right now, by and large, people have what they need, it, for COVID patients especially. If we have folks who have coronavirus, we've ensured that they have some minimal allotment of, of, of protective equipment. Now, um, there will be scenarios where people encounter people when they don't know they have COVID. And so that's always a challenge. And so we have to be precautious, have precautions about that, making sure we don't. But also too, we can't have everybody walking around in full PPE all the time. Um, we might could do it if we had it, but you know, really we need to prioritize it for people with known infection. Um, but there's no expectation that anyone would encounter or care for somebody with, with coronavirus. The other thing that we've done is we have identified the location of people with coronavirus and shared it with local 911 centers such that if, if there is an emergency call, that there is a drop-down list where people can know that they might be at risk so that we can maximally protect our emergency responders. Let me just also uh, remind everyone, because I think this is important, um, data still is critically important. Data gathering is still very important. The um, bill that passed the U.S. Congress and was signed by President Trump on Friday evening uh, requires uh, that we report data to uh, the CDC. Uh, we are beginning to uh, accumulate uh, the data from all of the private labs, uh, which is going to help us in terms of having more complete data. We, we've always had uh, the number of positive cases that they have tested in Mississippi. Now we're um, in the process of getting and downloading, and it takes time, and the Department of Health is working very hard, but also those uh, cases that were um, proven to be negative um, but we are still implementing our identify and isolate strategy. Um, we talked with Dr. Dobbs today, and he's got uh, nine different field teams uh, that are, are, are working every single day on case management. Again, uh, if you think you have the virus, if you've tested positive, or even if you've tested and don't have a result yet, 
it is critically important that you isolate yourself. And quite honestly, um, if you will uh, take it upon yourself to figure out who you've been in contact with the last five days, you ought to send them a text and just say, hey, I'm not feeling well. Uh, you ought to stay at home as well. Because ultimately, and this is what we talked about yesterday in Lauderdale County, and we now are building out resources to do it statewide, um, we are going to do everything we can uh, to enter uh, legal orders to make sure that we um, that we mandate that those individuals are, are in isolation or in are in quarantine, um, and those individuals, and this is in the order as well. Uh, those are individuals that uh, will not be allowed uh, to move freely um, because we don't. If they are a known uh, positive case, uh, they need to isolate and they need to be away from everyone. Yes, sir. With the stay-at-home order. What are you guys doing uh, to protect uh, homeless Mississippians? Are there special considerations being made for those folks? Well, that is obviously um, something that we are working on as well. Um, we have, um, I, I know, uh, I have heard of at least uh, one case uh, in one community of a homeless person that contracted uh, COVID-19. Um, as our, and again, this was all anecdotal. I don't have the data, and, and I can't tell you exactly where it was. Uh, but uh, I will tell you, we have exceptionally kind and generous healthcare workers. Uh, throughout uh, that particular patient was treated uh, and they were working to find that particular patient a place um, to go and um, and again I, I can't look, the reality is uh, in many instances this feels like um, the worst of times in our state but what we know as Mississippians is in the worst of times the best of people come out and we are seeing that every single day in every single community in every single county uh, across our state. Governor, yes, sir. Governor, uh, is, right now there's an eviction freeze as a result, uh, but is there any thought of doing a rent or a mortgage freeze? Uh, there is an eviction freeze um, that is in this executive order. It was in the one that we issued yesterday. It is in the uh, statewide order. Um, there is There has been no conversation about a rent uh, freeze or a um, or anything along those lines, and I would not anticipate that there will be. Uh, what you find is that with the bill that passed uh, the U.S. Uh, Congress on uh, Friday and signed by the President Friday night, uh, there are significant provisions for those who lose their job um, because of COVID-19. Uh, there's significant additional unemployment insurance uh, that is funded, and everyone will ultimately be expected to pay um, their rent and what they owe over time. Now, there are tremendous resources to help them do that, but they will be expected. And a very quick follow-up. Sure. Uh, if someone, I believe this is in the CARES Act, but I want to make sure it applies to Mississippi. If someone quits their job specifically because of COVID-19, they are eligible for unemployment in Mississippi. I think that'll be a question that we'll have to ask um, Jackie Turner, Mississippi Department of Employment Security, um, because state law to, to apply, to receive benefits of unemployment insurance um, it is that state law is that you lose your job at no fault of your own and so there I think there's some conversations there that language may or may not apply to that which is in the CARES Act and so those are things that the lawyers are looking at as we speak and hopefully uh, sometime soon we're going to be able to have a sit down uh, with Department of Employment Security uh, personnel uh, and and have a, a frank conversation where it's it's on video, so more and more people uh, can get that information. And so it, it'll be it'll be upcoming. Back on the about homeless Mississippians, a lot of housing challenge folks often find themselves maybe living uh, 
in, in a motel maybe for a week, or these extended stay motels. Would the eviction, uh, the, the hold on eviction, would that apply to um, extended stay motels, or uh, maybe a hotel where, you, where you're you know, living there for a week? It is, it says um, residential premises during the shelter in place, and so that specific example, we'll just have to look at it and see, um, and we'll talk to the lawyers and get you an answer. Okay, thank you. Just to follow up on unemployment, yes, uh, we're still having viewers call us, email us about whether or not uh, they're gonna receive benefits, one, two, they're still having a hard time getting in and to apply. Um, what is your response to those Mississippians concerned about that? I'm concerned about that also, and the, the individuals who are complaining about that and are concerned about that are justified in doing so. Uh, our total unemployment claims were up 5,500% week over week. Uh, we had um, uh, literally, uh, I believe, less than 1,000 claims two weeks ago, and we had almost 6,000 claims uh, last week. This is uh, something that is not unique to um, Mississippi. Uh, our total increase in claims was up about half of what the national average was. Um, so every state's having these same problems. So here's what I say to those of you who uh, are trying to apply. Uh, number one, when this started, uh, our call center was open from eight to five, five days a week. Uh, the call center is now open from seven to 10, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week. Every day we are training uh, more people uh, to get on those calls. Uh, we have loosened the restrictions and now you can go through um, the local wind job centers to apply for unemployment insurance that's never we haven't allowed that in the past uh, those are actually closed to the public uh, but you can go on their website you can send an email and, and you can get individuals to help you uh, file those claims but the most important thing i can tell you is we have waived uh, the one-week restriction. Historically, you've had to wait one week before you could apply for unemployment insurance after losing your job. We have waived that. The federal government, to their credit, actually funded it in the CARES Act. Uh, they funded it long after we waived it, but they did fund it, so that's not going to hurt our trust fund. Um, and the other thing is, uh, you are going to be eligible for benefits based upon when your termination date was, not based upon when someone answers the phone at the Department of Employment Security. Um, and in addition to that, you're gonna be eligible for all of the benefits that you're eligible for um, based upon that particular date. Uh, I'll give an example. The unemployment um, benefits are increased for those who lose their job for COVID-19 over a period of time. Um, it's gonna take the Department of Employment Security uh, 10 days to a couple weeks to actually re do their computer model uh, so that those benefits can be paid, but everybody's gonna get paid back to the date at which uh, they became eligible, not the date at which they actually file it. So those are great questions, very fair questions, and ones uh, that we are trying to get that information out. Yes, sir. Dr. Dobbs, as of last week, we were still looking at the kind of South Korea model that you described. How is the overall strategy changing uh, in Mississippi? Oh, this is part of the same strategy. I mean, this is just the timing to help, you know, we talked about having targeted interventions, right, in, lo in locations to slow it down so that we could launch EPI teams. The EPI, the EPI response teams have been activated and they're out on the field working today. So the timing's perfect, I mean, for, for implementing the slowdown sort of thing. So this is just a more aggressive defense while we're um, continuing to implement and ramp up our offensive strategy. 
Yeah, and I think that's a, a great point. Um, our strategy has not changed uh, with implementing and instituting uh, this shelter at home for the next 14 plus days. Uh, our strategy is the same. We want to go on offense. We have um, we have sent out nine different teams um, that are capable and competent that are identifying and isolating those cases. We are continuing to send mobile testing units. We are in Meridian today uh, doing mobile testing. Uh, we're going to identify those that are positive. We're going to, um, and by we, I mean primarily the assets of the Department of Health supported by uh, MEMA and, and the Guard. Uh, they're going to continue to um, to do the mobile testing unit so that we get to every region of our state. We continue to believe that the more tests we do, the more likely our offensive strategy is going to work. But we also know that the more tests we do per capita, the more positive cases we're going to get. So no one is um, in, in the least bit surprised that, that we are seeing more cases uh, every single day. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't continue to focus on the offensive. We're on the offensive uh, trying to gather supplies. We're on the offensive trying to identify and then isolate positive cases. Um, and, and honestly, I think uh, where we find ourselves today um, is, is in a point where uh, we are, we're making progress on slowing down uh, the spread of the virus. This is just another defensive mechanism that allows us to uh, hopefully get more people to comply uh, so that we get a stronger compliance uh, from people throughout the state. What is the follow-through like with the teams and the investigation? Obviously, that front-end part is so important, but what is the follow-through like? Once someone tests positive, do we anticipate numbers at some point being released about how many have recovered, or is there a team checking back after a certain number of days, or is that only in those hotspot areas? Yeah, um, well, the state's a hotspot, essentially, so, you know, we'll be doing it everywhere. Um, the, the first phase, this is labor-intensive now, um, with this many cases and new cases coming on, so our first priority is to identify them, do the contact investigation, do the isolation, legally binding isolation order, legally binding quarantine order, and as we get that built out, then we'll start layering on top those other sort of supportive mechanisms. Just want to follow up. Uh, in the original executive order, it does list automotive sales as an essential business, and we're receiving reports from readers that they are actually being required to come and work. Is is that intended? Well, I'll just have to take a look at that. I don't I don't know the details. I don't have it in front of me, but I'll take a look at that and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Seeing no other questions, I do want to just point out that today is um, Census Day uh, in Mississippi. Uh, it is very important that as many people as possible get counted. Uh, we literally undercounted um, in the most recent census, we think, by a couple hundred thousand people. Uh, obviously, you can go online and ensure that you are counted, um, and I encourage you to do so. Uh, and then I would finally like to say uh, a thank you to uh, all of you members of the media who are working and, and doing your dead level best to get accurate information out to the people of our state. Uh, you play a vital role, uh, and I certainly appreciate uh, what you are doing in helping us get good information um, because uh, when information is, is relayed that is not accurate. And, and we welcome you again to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. For the last hour and 27 minutes, we've been listening in to the live press conference uh, hosted by Governor Tate Reeves and uh, Mississippi uh, Department of uh, Health 
is that Dr. Dobbs, I think, and then uh, some other uh, folks uh, standing in as well. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. If you've just tuned in, there is a shelter-in-place order that will go in in the state of Mississippi, and that will begin on Friday at 5 p.m. and will run until Monday, April the 20th, and will end at 8 a.m. on Monday, April the 20th, or at least that is the uh, – uh, for now, that is the end date of uh, of the shelter-in-place order. Here's the deal. A lot of Mississippi has already been under an order that is very much like this. Not everybody. Not, not all communities have been under this order. Uh, there has been a, uh, a statewide executive order that's been in place for about a week and a half. A lot of local municipalities have put uh, either stay-at-home or shelter-in-place orders. Uh, there were a lot of questions during the press conference about what defines an essential business. And honestly, the list is really, really long. We will uh, we'll give you some of them to try and clear up some questions. Honestly, I came away from that with uh, with a few questions that weren't asked, uh, which is maybe a little crazy considering they took questions for an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, somebody asked specifically about whether or not the reservoir in uh, in Rankin County. Rankin County, Borky, is that right? Um, it is kind, kind of, of split between, everything, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so if it was going to be closed, he said it was going to be closed because last weekend when they were flying over doing some sort of aerial whatever, uh, they could see that people had taken boats and gone upriver and had gone to the sandbars and were hanging out, which is what people do in the summer and when the weather's nice in that part of the state of Mississippi. What I don't know for sure, I think what I understood the governor to say, but I don't know for sure. Does that mean that all of the public lakes in the state of Mississippi are closed? That is what it sounded like, yes, because he said said parks, and when he was asked specifically about people on the reservoir, I assume that would apply everywhere, yeah. Yeah, I I would assume so as well, and I only mentioned that because you know, last weekend it was really, really nice in North Mississippi. We took the boat out, and that was like a great way to get away from everybody and everything. But apparently, not everybody else handled it that way. So, um, it would be nice essential- if people actually followed through with the initial orders. Maybe we wouldn't be here. Not that it's much different, but still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously, public safety and first responders, law enforcement, fire prevention, uh, fire um, prevention and response. Uh, military, emergency man- management personnel, etc. Those fall under the category of essential government functions. Uh, healthcare workers, infrastructure workers, which means power generation, nuclear facilities, utility companies, fuel transmission, petroleum producers, all the things uh, that kind of fall into that line of, uh, of work, including telecom and data centers, cybersecurity, and whatnot. There are a ton of businesses that fall under the essential category. Essential manufacturing, agriculture and farming is essential. Retail, that is essential. A little bit of a a window into that. Supermarkets, food and beverage stores, and yes, that includes liquor stores, food providers, convenience stores, pharmacies, hardware and building material stores, gas stations and restaurants, who are providing curbside or carry-out pickup. Those are qualified as essential. Um, Your essential day-to-day services, trash collection, 
mail, home repair, automotive sales and repair, uh, distribution centers, all of those will still be open. Essential media, newspapers, digital news sites, television, radio, and all other media services. Financial services, which means banks, insurance companies, uh, payroll, accounting, processing, financial transactions, uh, law offices, accounting services, insurance services, real estate services, those all are able to remain open. And then uh, construction and construction-related services can continue. Uh, Governor Reeves kind of danced around the question about, hey, can people keep building houses? The answer is yes, because plumbers and roofers and electricians and concrete fabricators, whatnot, they all are deemed essential businesses. Um, so there you go. That's basically a list of the essential services. If you want to know that in list in its entirety, just Google it. Uh, Google Mississippi Essential Businesses. There are multiple links. You can find all of those. Um, no weddings with more than 10 people. No funerals with more than 10 people. No church services with more than t- 10 people. No social activities with more than 10 people. Public parks are closed with the exception of walking trails. So if you have a park close to you that has a walking trail, you can get out and walk. You're supposed to maintain social distancing, but you can't go to the playground. You can't take your kids to the playground. Um, Said social clubs would be closed. Borky, I understand that to mean golf courses and country clubs are closed. That's certainly what that sounds like, yes. Which is a little bit of a bummer because that's one area that you can really actually practice the whole social distancing thing. You can walk or you can go one to a cart and you can stay spread out and you can be outside. But again, because people were not responsibly doing that, it has been shut down. Yeah. Which kind of feels like the way you have to punish first graders, right? Pretty much uh, the the old saying, one bad apple spoils the bunch. I, I do find it and I understand why it is this way, because, again, if somebody screws it up, you have to shut the whole thing down. But two guys can go into a liquor store, but two guys cannot hop on a boat and go fishing. There you go. Uh, at least not on a public right, lake. Yeah. As I, I heard nothing to make me believe that you cannot hunt on private land. Yeah, I mean, if you, you own it, right? It, it, there's nothing they can do if you own it. That, that's okay. What about hunting on public lands? Would that fall under the park? See, we should have been in that press conference, man, uh, to ask questions like this. <laughs> I assume that would fall under the the park. Yeah, I, I blanket. I would prefer. I'm not telling you what to say or not say. But I don't think we need to assume on that. Yeah. Because good there point. are a lot of people that are taking that very, very, very seriously. And I don't want to be the person that tells you you can or cannot hunt on public land. You're going to have to call somebody. I tell you what we'll do we will see if we can get someone from MDWFP to give us an answer. It's almost 5 o'clock. So I don't know if we'll be able to get anybody to answer that question or not. If we can't get it today, we will get that answer for you tomorrow uh, so that we have uh, a little more clarity on whether or not hunting and um, 
Goodness. I mean, fishing as well. I mean, he said reservoir closed. I, I assume that means fishing is out on public lakes. So the, the Corps of Engineer lakes that are in North Mississippi, the reservoir in Jackson, and other public lakes. We, we've just got to get a little bit more clarity on that. Um, I thought the enforcement piece that he talked about, uh, the governor talked about, was addressed pretty loosely. He said that he believed that most law enforcement officials, while yes, there were enforcement measures that were in place, um, and 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 not to be critical, but I think Governor Reeves was trying to be lighthearted when he said it, but what he said was not accurate at all. Uh, he said most law enforcement officials will probably say, get out of here, scram, break it up, you can't be here. He should have stopped right there because we followed it up with, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. No, exactly what they're asking you to do is go home. Yeah. That's a good point because they don't want to overstep. I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, there's an enforcement window. They just don't want to use it, so don't make them. And, and and I think maybe the point he was making was, look, follow the rules. Yes, technically we can enforce it. This is not something where they're trying to throw a bunch of people in jail. They're not trying yeah. to generate a lot of fine revenue uh, by punishing people for breaking the rules. They're trying to stop the spread of coronavirus in Mississippi. You know, I think there's a pretty healthy debate that can be had as to whether or not the borders to the state should be closed. That has happened in some places. The border between Louisiana and Texas, as I understand it, has been shut down. Should we shut down the Louisiana-Mississippi border? I don't know. But That's obviously these are uh, difficult decisions that have to be made. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine being in that position, but I guess if I'm going to run for office, I need to imagine myself being in that position. But uh, oh, You still got that on your mind? I still got that on my mind. Um, maybe not after this, though. <laughs> <laughs> but Sports it, Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. It is the 1st of April. I wish this were all one great big April Fool's joke. It is decidedly not. We are going to try and get back to uh, some sports in the 5 o'clock hour with you. We've got the college football fix coming your way in just a few minutes. It's driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We will circle back and hit again on the news that Mississippi State had yesterday as it pertains to the quarterback position. Also some quotes from uh, from an athletic director. Not a Power 5 athletics director, uh, but an AD who has been in the news a good bit in recent years about what it's going to cost his athletics department to fund the extra year of eligibility that was granted yesterday by the Division I Council. We will, uh, do we have the audio from the scheme? Orky, can we play that? We could. I've got a Run it through some editing first, though. Okay. Uh, the Scheme was the documentary that came out last night. Uh, it was the story about Christian Dawkins and all of the college basketball drama involving the FBI. Uh, all of that coming up with you. We'll also reintroduce you to a couple of other guys, Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey. We'll rejoin the conversation in just a couple of minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. More signs of strange times. An hour and a half of Sports Talk Mississippi uh, dedicated to the, uh, the governor's press conference. But we are glad to have been able to bring that to you today. At Super Talk Mississippi, our mission, the core of this company, is about serving you as Mississippians. And so uh, hope you were able to at least hear part of the governor's press conference. Uh, certainly you can go back and get that information if you want to at a, uh, a later time. And uh, certainly as well, Paul Gallo, uh, tomorrow morning at 6, we'll have uh, a lot more information and we'll have plenty to talk about as well. Thanks for being with us. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the number. It's the C Spire text line. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day, from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cares. Hey, Dad, did you happen to have up the, uh, the the Facebook stream while that was going on? No, I was just listening to it over over the uh, the uh, headset here. Yeah, I was listening through the headset as well, but I just opened up the Facebook. Did you, Did you read the comments, Richard? That's where I was going with this. Never Don't ever read the comments. comments. Well, I mean, they weren't directed at me. I mean, it was almost Doesn't for but. It was Doesn't almost matter. for amusement purposes. I I don't even have words. <laughs> like the only words that I can come up with to describe the overwhelming majority of the comments are profane. They would probably cost me my job, and that's the last thing I need to do right now is to lose my job. The only thing I think when I read comment sections is I can't believe their vote counts the same as mine. All I could think of was that song that we play sometimes. <laughs> Everybody knows that the world is full of stupid people. Wow. Then wow. there's one every now and again where you're like, okay, maybe this guy's got it figured out. Yes. Yes. There are a few that roll in there. But they're the they're the divisive comments, and then they are they're the uh, the comments that are defending uh, the deliverer of the message that other people think is divisive, and then they're the yeah, but what about this? What about use your brain? Use your brain. I don't like some whataboutism. One of my favorite things. Use your brain. Yeah, but what about oh, stop? Stop! Stop! Shelter in place. Are school still going back on April 17th? There's your sign. <laughs> the guy in the press We're telling conference the entire state of Mississippi. In, like, I'm sorry, what? The guy in the press conference who asked about people at the residence inn, that made me roll my eyes a little bit. I was just like, what? They're, they're at the residence inn? We're worried. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm the entire extended stay America. What's going on here? The entire state of Mississippi is being told you cannot leave your home other than for essential necessities between now and the 20th of April. Which prompts the guy, 
to or, or the gal to go, well, does that mean schools aren't going to start back on April 17th? Yes. Yes, that, that's, that, that's what that means. Well, I mean, nobody officially said, no, no, it's just, stop. Here's one, here's two, put them together. Don't ever read the comments, Richard. That is the lesson we should try to tell people. Socially yeah. distance yourself and don't ever read the comments. If you do that, you'll probably have a happy life. Yeah. Let's go to the college football fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out all about the great deals they've got going at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. And know that your Ford service centers are still open. You've got plenty to worry about. Don't let car repairs being one of them. Some Ford dealers even arranging uh, for pickup of your vehicle if you need it. Contact your local Mississippi Ford dealer. For more information, Mississippi State has another quarterback on its roster, or at least it looks like that's going to be the case. Bulldogs got a commitment last night from Sawyer Robertson. See, hey, Dad, if that guy had committed to Ole Miss, you'd make some crack about a lawyer name. Got two last names. I I would definitely uh, make that crack. But when he's a Bulldog quarterback, let's just talk about this dual sport athlete and how great he's going to be. Salt of the earth, a grinder. Yes. From Lubbock, Texas, grew up watching. I I guess he grew up watching. I mean, he was in like first grade when Mike Leach was still coaching at Texas Tech. Well, he would, yeah, yeah. But I mean, my guess is earlier today, earlier today, you said that Mike Leach was Sawyer Robertson's Bear Bryant going up, but do we know that to be? I mean, did, has somebody told you that? I'm, I'm, I'm just making based on the the comment that he made, the the quote that I have in the article. Uh, oh, you were two plus said, twoing it. Yeah, I mean, he said he's a legend. So, I mean, my guess is, and this is just an educated guess, his dad, probably a huge Texas Tech fan, when Mike Leach was having success there, and you know, just sort of followed along there. I know nothing about the situation, but there was – I listened to a podcast with Ryan Russillo and Stanford Steve a while back, and they were there that night of the Crabtree catch and all that. And mm-hmm. apparently just the entire city burned that night like no other like no other night slash day that's ever happened in the history of Lubbock, Texas. Believable. They threw some tortilla shells, no doubt. I don't know what that means, but I bet kids were born not Their after. student section buys these cheap tortillas for like a dollar ninety nine for twenty of them, and when they score touchdowns, they throw them up in the air one by one. Frisbee style. Sure, it's a thing. Why not? Corn or flour? Oh, I don't yes. know. That's probably a really good uh, like. Since everybody's drinking, like you've just got good food right there in your hands and after a few you just start eating your tortillas i like tortillas not when mike leach was there scoring too many touchdowns to eat those bad boys you had to to, uh, throw them for touchdowns i need to reach out to like a former texas tech mascot about touchdown push-ups during mike leach's run there Sawyer Robertson, 6'3", 190, pro-style, top 10 pro-style quarterback in the country, Coronado High School, Lubbock, Texas. Uh, Picked 
uh, Mississippi State and Mike Leach over high-profile schools, including Florida State, Southern Cal, Texas, Wisconsin, Arkansas, and others. I just added Arkansas. Arkansas was not in the list of high-profile schools, but they are another SEC school, so I thought I would mention that. Uh, Fifth commitment for Mississippi State of the 2021 recruiting cycle. So that's uh, piece number one of the college football fix. Here's piece number two. Danny White back in the news, athletics director at the University of Central Florida. Uh, Story in the Orlando Sentinel. Danny White was asked, do you know how much financial impact Monday's NCAA decision will have? That's the decision to um, give everybody an extra year of eligibility in the spring sports. Here was a quote. It's going to be somewhere in the three to 500,000 range. Just depends on how many of them elect to do it. The way they did it was smart because it's a one-time expense. As we look into next year, I think there are going to be a lot of scenarios where there are one-time challenges. We've just got to find a way, and hopefully there's ways with federal and state support, one-time relief, to help us get through the next 12 months or so. There's one argument to be made that major industries all over the United States are receiving stimulus-slash-bailout money. Airlines, cruise lines, the hospitality injury, industry, not injury, hospitality industry, small businesses all over the country. Should athletics programs or maybe, in a greater sense, universities be part of that as well? That is a very good question. Because the term bailout turns people off because certain companies got bailouts because they were failing because of their own doing. And in this case, I mean, if football doesn't happen, there are a lot of people that stand to lose a lot of money, and it's nobody's fault. They were very profitable, successful businesses that were forced to shut down. So if airline travel's getting that kind of help, why should they not when it wasn't their fault that they were losing money? It's not a bailout. It's a stimulus, as you said. Let's um, let's continue this conversation because I think there are some important questions to ask. We'll do that next with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming supertalk.fm. I'm not trying to stir controversy when I make this point, Porky, but we were talking about the uh, quote from Danny White where he mentioned that it would cost three to $500,000 for the University of Central Florida, uh, depending on how many um, athletes elect to take advantage or how many seniors, I guess, elect to take advantage of that extra year of eligibility. And he says we've got to find a way, and hopefully there's ways with federal and state support, one-time relief to help us get through the next 12 months or so. So here's what I was going to point out. And David, by the way, on the ceasefire text line says football is not an essential business. NFL owners have cash. College education, yes. Football, no. I hate it. Just reality. And there may be something to that. But there is an extremely important piece of legislation that government people will tell you is an extremely important piece of legislation 
that might be the reason that stimulus money ends up going to universities and college athletics programs. You know where I'm going with this? I do not. It's Title Nine. Oh. We talked yesterday about Ross Dellinger's story, but that was not new information if you've listened to this show. we I, I know sometimes when we talk numbers and we talk the business of College of Athletics, maybe your eyes glaze over or your ears fog up a little bit. And, and my apologies for that, but it's something that is wildly fascinating to me. And that's probably the reason that we talk about it as much as we do. And so the idea that a football program – and a men's basketball program, and in a few cases, only a handful of cases across the entire country, a baseball program are operating in the black, and none of the other sports are, that was not new news to you. It was a great story by Ross Dellinger. And it's amazing to me how many people nationally are looking at that and going, holy cow, I had no idea. Well, newsflash. Football makes money. Men's basketball makes a little money. And for about 8 to 12 programs across the country, baseball operates in the black. And that's it. But the amount of money that men's basketball makes outside of it, Kentucky and Louisville and Kansas and probably Duke and a couple of other places, football absolutely carries the day and they pay for everything else so 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 here's where i'm going with this whole connecting the dots thing football pays for everything else if we end up without a college football season it will be a huge financial loss for athletics departments all over the country and it will cause difficult decisions to have to be made that will include in some cases, dropping sports. In some cases, it will be dropping sports that fall under the Title IX umbrella because you simply can't afford to pay for them. The federal government looks at the Title IX legislation as landmark, as unbelievably important, as the backbone, in some cases, of intercollegiate athletics because it's about balance and it's about equality and it's about doing right, and it provides oversight, and all of those things, that might be the reason. I don't know that I really believe it's going to happen, but if it does happen, where college athletics ends up getting stimulus money or bailout money or describe it however you want to, if it ends up happening, I think you'll be able to trace it to Title IX. It's a really good point and uh, and well thought out. It, just for reference, uh, th- so this is LSU 16-17, so the basketball team was not very good at that time. However, uh, just $1.6 million in profit. That does not cover two, any two uh, sports that did not make money at LSU. So to your point, football is uh, the, the driving force of everything. I wonder if they... If that does happen, if they would put a stipulation on how you could potentially use this money. Because I pointed it out yesterday. It bears repeating, though. There are schools that are paying massive buyouts to former coaches. I mean, Ole Miss is 
what, 166000 a month for three years uh, to a former coach. Uh, I mean, would you be comfortable as a citizen knowing that this $2 trillion package or more uh, of taxpayer money coming from a government that's already $22, million, or $22 trillion in debt uh, goes to paying the buyout of a former football coach. Would uh, I guess that's the that's doing business, but would you feel comfortable with that? That's where I understand that a lot of people are in their finances are at stake here with the loss of a football season would damage a lot of people. But also if you're giving these programs money and they owe a former football coach $19 million, looking at Florida State, I don't feel comfortable giving Florida State money to pay Willie Taggart a ridiculous buyout he shouldn't be given. Or is that overthinking all of this? It's not overthinking it. I would have to believe there would be stipulations on the money, that it could only be used for certain things. Kind of like this... um, paycheck protection program that's out right now it's part of the stimulus package i mean it has to be used the 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 way the money's calculated and is going to be dispersed it has to be used for payroll uh mortgage interest utilities or rent and you got to be able to prove that with a paper trail otherwise you have to pay the money back in the form of a loan versus versus it being forgiven in the form of a grant but to your point it's all like money going to the same place, right? I mean, if you had that money. But but here's the thing that, that I think you're, you're not going bankrupt because at Ole Miss you got to pay Matt Luke a million and a half dollars a year for the next three years. Right. Florida State's not going bankrupt because they got to pay Willie Taggart two and a half or three million or four million a year for the next four or five years. It's a lot of money, but that's not the you make it or break it. We're talking about having to fund the men's and women's golf program combined at two and a half million dollars. I've got and the numbers out the for track you and if field you want. on the men's and women's side to a combined amount of five million dollars. And men's and women's tennis at a combined two point eight million all of those things adding up. Hey Dad, I feel like I'm talking a lot. Rippy, I I talking about what am I on to something here? Does this any of this make sense? Is it in one ear and out the other? Where where do you stand on this? I I I don't think the government will be too uh, picky with what the look with the average citizen. Yeah, they're going to be picky with how how that money gets doled out. But with big universities, I think they just cut them a check and say, "Do what you got to do." Yeah, I would agree with that as well. For what it's worth. Uh, that football money, and again, this is LSU's numbers, but relatively similar for the schools here, $57 million in net profit uh, for the 2016 football season at LSU. Yeah. Gymnastics and cost that, them $2.2 million in losses, one sure. sport. Women's basketball cost them almost $4 million. 3.999. Yeah. Stan and Ripley says, good point, Borky. Frank and Brookhaven says foundations pay the big money, don't they? Yeah, but that money's got to come from somewhere. I was having a conversation with a friend earlier today that that you know he was talking about just a couple of SEC schools 
said that Georgia is a school that is fortunate because going back to when Damon Evans was the athletics director, Georgia started saving money. They started putting money into a rainy day fund, and they've got somewhere between 50 and $60 million set aside. They can't run their athletics department on $60 million. It's a $150 million entity, whatever. But they can sure stop the bleeding with that. In comparison, Auburn is an athletics department that lives paycheck to paycheck with almost no reserves. Hey, Dad, I think John Cohen told us when we talked to him last week that there was some money set aside at Mississippi State, and he pointed to his predecessors as well, going all the way back to Larry Templeton, being fiscally responsible. And I know at times that's been a punchline at Mississippi State. But when you get into a spot like this where finances are going to be tight, apparently there's some money there that it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's make tough times a little easier. Yeah, and we'll see how how far down the road that, that money can get them. Ole Miss, a program that a couple of years ago was in pretty good shape in terms of a rainy day fund. Had over $30 million sitting in their reserves. Two years of only getting half postseason revenue and paying several million dollars to fight the NCAA has dwindled those reserves. So Ole Miss could be in a difficult spot. Just That's four examples out of the SEC. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. What do you think of uh, this Tiger versus Phil round two, but adding in a couple of quarterbacks to the mix? One a former, one a current. Uh, in the name of raising money for charity, I think related to coronavirus. I mean, at that point, we're going to be so starved for live sporting events. People are going to think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I like the idea. I don't really see why not, as long as it's safe and all that. Uh, I think I'd probably be more compelled if it were two like younger professional golfers or amateurs or something like that, as opposed to two quarterbacks in the NFL. Or if you're going to go that route, make it go like a Steph Curry or a Tony Romo where the guys are scratch. I don't know what kind of golfers Peyton or Brady are. Peyton and Brady are, excuse me, but... Uh, to me, it'd be more compelling if the partners were like competent scratch golfers. I'm not saying they suck. I just am assuming they're in the single to you know low double digit handicap range. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. I mean, Peyton probably better than he used to be. But I like the idea. More time to play. I'm not against it at all. I'm just like if you're asking me what I would have done with it, I would have probably done that. But I like it. It's better than what Kyle Porter of. CBS threw out there today. Which was? Trump in Tiger versus Obama in Mickelson. Wait, wait, why is that better? <laughs> the, the last thing I want in my first hilarious. sporting event back is Trump and Obama takes. That's I could not want to further distance myself from politics on my first sporting event back. Aside from what you're... It, Twitter feed would feel like the actual golf. That would be so funny. Can you imagine if you had Trump mic'd up for 18 holes of that? As long as you're close to the delay button. I feel like he's and ruthless on the golf And they'd have to do the, the O.J. Course. Simpson thing and probably have a marshal just follow around Trump so he does it like foot wedge stuff. 
put me down yeah. for a five. Are, are you not? <laughs> so, so that was the pairing that he wanted. He wanted Trump with Tiger. He wants Trump. Well, because they're, I don't know if they're buddies, but they have played together a lot in the past. Yeah, but Tiger and Obama were buddies. I feel like Trump and Tiger would smoke Obama and Mickelson. Probably. But didn't Phil win the last time? He did. He did. And Tiger had to sit out an event because of back issues again. He was going to play the Masters, but he was still having trouble. Do you remember the first time that happened and people were talking about how it was going to be a gateway into more of that in terms of like professional golfers just having grudge matches? I know that hasn't happened, but what's a better time than now? Uh, seriously? It, they they kind of blew it, though, didn't they? It was boring golf. Both of them played very badly. Oh, and they didn't really... Uh, the mic'd up thing, it's like they held back. It, you didn't really get to hear what they actually would have said to each other on a golf course. It was too corporate. Yeah, have you ever watched any of the? Um, Jim Gallagher mentioned this yesterday when we were talking to him. The the old shell wonderful world of golf, kind of the the one on one matches. Have you ever watched any of those old ones on the Golf Channel? Oh yeah, those are really good. I mean, that that used to be a really big deal, and they've just kind of gotten away from it. I, I remember growing up. I, I think it was around. I don't know if it was around Thanksgiving or Christmas. I, for some reason, I think it was around Thanksgiving, but maybe it was Christmas where they would televise the Skins games or the, the Skins matches as well. And those were always fun to watch. We've just kind of gotten away from that. And and maybe it's because in, you know, in the 70, you know, 60s, 70s into the 80s when they were having Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, and that may have even lasted to the early 90s, Golfers were making good money, but that was an opportunity to go up and, and go out and really rack up some money in the off season. Guys are making so much money now that are high level stars, the type players that would be involved in something like that that would draw an audience that they may not really have any interest in giving up, you know, the Saturday right before or right after Christmas or Thanksgiving. Those, those skins games were Nicholas Palmer. Chichi yes. Rodriguez, Gary Player, Lee Trevino, Lee Trevino. I mean, the, the, top, the top guys. You would never get like, you would never get that now. I, I mean, you're, you're talking about getting what Tiger and Rory and Phil, and and not necessarily those are all the top ranked guys, but those are certainly the most attractive. So Tiger, right. Rory, Phil, I mean, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, just for fun. Patrick Reed would be great in one of those scenarios. Does the um, and we're just spitting ideas, but that that new league or that new tour, whatever you want to it's call not it, happen. it's not going to happen because all of the big players said no. Do you think that is an indicator of where their mind is on these spinoff type deals? Because the money was significantly higher. It also came from a sketchy um, source, but still, it, they were offering more money to play in this other tour, and all the top guys were just, no, not a chance. Sorry, I'm not playing in that. Well, but Rory was the one that led the way on that. He really kind of spoke out yeah. about it and said, one, we're talking about dirty Saudi money, and two, I don't want somebody telling me where I have to play and when I have to play. Because part of the deal of playing on that, what was it, World Golf Tour or whatever they were calling it, was that you had to play in every event. 
And those guys, I mean, you, you heard multiple. I, I don't know if it was Randall Chambly or David Duvall or, or somebody from the golf channel that said one of the things that golfers value the most, especially once they get to a certain level, once they win a tournament or two, is they get to set their own schedule. Nobody can tell them when to play, where to play, other than kind of the loose rules that are out there where the tour says, yeah, you got to play in, you know, all the events once every four or five or six years or, you know, whatever the, the time frame. Which those are recent tweaks to incentivize. You remember those are fairly new. You either have to sure. play, like it used to be just like, what was it, like 16 to keep the minimum, but now it's a certain number or play X amount you haven't played in the last five years or whatever. Like those are recent to incentivize guys to play more different places. Yeah. Which everybody wants. I mean, there's some courses you're just going to like better than others, but fans everywhere want to see the best players come to their tournament. You know, whether you're talking about the Sanderson Farms in Jackson or you're talking about what was formerly the FedEx St. Jude in Memphis. I mean, it's always a big deal when, you know, DJ or Phil would commit. Tiger never played in the FedEx St. Jude Classic. And then finally, folks were excited. Hey, you're going to get Tiger because it's a World Golf Championship event, and then you didn't get Tiger last year. But it was still a great field. If things, but, I mean, that's no diff, different than Greensboro or Moline, Illinois, or, you know, wherever. Yeah. If things return to normal at some point, and the tour keeps its fall schedule, do you think that the Sanderson Farm will get, I mean, big-time commitments because guys haven't played all summer? That's a good question, Borky. Because it had a standalone date last year, right? Will again this year, as I understand it. Well, Unless God knows, you know, changes. something changes. But well, sure. there's something. What a weekend did y'all say the uh, Masters hotels were going up in price? Do you know the exact date? Give me one second, I'll tell you. It's like the second weekend of October, I think. It was second or third. October sixteenth is the Thursday, so sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth. Is that the spot on the calendar where the Sanderson is? I don't know. I was about to check. Yeah, I I thought they were moving it up to late September. Regardless, your question is an interesting one, Borky. If we were to get professional golf back, and it is a standalone date, and it doesn't get bumped for one of the majors or you know however it is that they put that together, then an event that is gaining a better reputation is getting a little bit better field, and in the absence of all these events and all these opportunities for guys to make money this year, yeah, knowing that somebody's going to walk out of there with what was the first place check last year? It was wasn't it like nine hundred thousand, right at a million? It was significantly bigger for sure. It is currently scheduled, obviously subject to ta- to change. Uh, first tee on Thursday, October first. If we can get golf back, among other sports, and the Sanderson Farms Championship is able to remain in that time slot as a standalone event the answer to your question is yes it will be by far the best field that event has ever had Rippy you agree with that yeah I think I do 
I mean, if we've only been back playing golf for six weeks, eight weeks at that point, and it's a standalone, and they missed 16 tournaments, you guys are looking to make some money. I just, it depends on when the restart is and what the fall schedule looks like with majors and all that. Yeah. Probably right about that. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.